Just a heads up before we begin this episode, the Baron of Botox deals with difficult topics, including depression and suicide. It is not recommended for young audiences. Stay tuned to the end of the episode for information on resources for anyone who is suffering from depression or suicidal thoughts. Let's begin the show. Mass sculpting and cool advantage. The latest technology for. Good morning. Back in August, I connected with Dr. Rhoda Narens. Over the course of two decades, she and Dr. Brandt traveled the world together, lecturing on advances in the field of cosmetic dermatology, serving on advisory boards, and participating in years long studies to get products like the filler Restylane approved for consumer use. We lectured together very often. We gave courses together and things like that, and he was always fun to be with. We went out to dinner with him in the city, just the three of us, my husband, Fred, and I, many times. And when we weren't with him, he would just work late, till 8 o'clock at night, and then just go home. We got to travel together and be on that advisory board together and to lecture about the product together, and it was a very interesting time. And then, of course, we did many, many studies after that on every product that's out now. And so we got to see each other at all these advisory boards, investigative meetings, and things of that sort. Fred was very serious when he was lecturing or talking about studies or other things like that. Dr. Narens runs practices in both Manhattan and White Plains, New York. On her website, she boasts that she was the first doctor in the Westchester area to administer Kybella, the first and only injectable treatment to banish double chins. She remembers there almost being two distinct Freds. Serious, science-obsessed, goes home at eight Fred. And then there was this other guy, celebrity catnip Fred. Because he came on the scene somewhat after I did. And he, patients loved him. And so, and they were very loyal to him, and they validated him, especially the stars he treated validated his life, and in a way, that's always dangerous. And actually, sometimes the celebrities are the hardest people to treat, and the most fun is with regular people that are non-celebrity. But in any case, these people, they were enamored with this, and Fred was often very, very lonely. It was exactly the same with Arnie Klein. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Arnie Klein was much more famous. Arnold Klein, yes. Arnold Klein. The king of collagen. He named himself that. You have to understand. This is a lot about PR. And then the big problem is you start to believe the PR. From Imperative Entertainment, I'm Justine Harmon, and this is The Baron of Botox. Episode 5, Fame Game. In every industry, there is a hierarchy, and the beauty and fashion industry is no exception. I remember, back in the beginning of my career, running into a girl with whom I'd interned at InStyle magazine. We were at a rooftop party drinking vodka sodas. She and I didn't know each other well, but we didn't know anyone else at the party either, so we became best friends for the night. We were commiserating about our junior status in our respective corners of the industry, I was an assistant at a public relations firm that represented actors. She was an editorial assistant at a fashion publication. When she said something I never forgot, she told me, you should work at a magazine, because when you do, everyone comes to you. Now, this wasn't exactly the heyday of publishing. 
that Valhalla of black cars and expense accounts and clothing allowances. But it was over 10 years ago, when magazines still brought in a pretty penny. I was only 23, just barely out of college. But I knew she was right, that my position, which mostly consisted of creating schedules for clients and functioning as a behind-the-scenes nanny and purse holder at movie premieres, wasn't at the top of the food chain. In my limited exposure to the celebrity complex industry, I had ascertained that the pecking order went something like this. Celebrity, Harvey Weinstein. Agent, magazine editor, manager, publicist, as in their actual publicist, hairstylists, makeup artists, clothing stylists, then comes personal assistant, masseuse, dog walker, acupuncturist, dermatologist, drug dealer, shoe connect, and then me. Now, you don't need to understand the mechanics of every level of the operation to know that being a magazine editor, someone a celebrity does not pay or get paid by, is something of a seniority loophole. I immediately made it my business to be the type of person people came to for things, and not the other way around. Throughout the course of 10 years as a junior and then senior level editor at a variety of magazines, this loophole remained a constant. When you're in a position to give people a platform, the distance between you and celebrities becomes much smaller. I have been in ridiculous situations as a result of having my name on a magazine masthead. I've flown on private jets, smoked weed with a notoriously rowdy supermodel, and had dinner with a cast of characters so preposterous, I had to ask myself, is this even real? One time, Anne Hathaway sent my niece a very tasteful bouquet of flowers for her 13th birthday. But regardless of the title bestowed to him by the press, the Baron of Botox, Dr. Brandt was in a precarious position. As a service provider to the stars, he had all the glitz and glamour that comes with being close to celebrities, but none of the power. That's just not how the hierarchy works. When your job is to make a famous person look and feel more beautiful, there are only two rules to know. Rule one, keep the client happy. Anytime I did anyone's hair, no matter where it was, when they got up and they felt good, that's all that mattered. I don't care if they tell anybody. I honestly found that a lot of times when I was doing the most famous people, they didn't even want anybody to know that it was me that did their hair because they wanted my attention rather than me giving it to someone else. This is Bryant Renfro. He's an old friend of Dr. Brandt's who, before making a career 180 and becoming a real estate agent out in the Hamptons, spent 35 years as Barbara Walters' personal hairstylist. I did Barbara's hair even after she left TV, two, three, four times a week, because I was not only her TV hairdresser, I was her personal hairdresser. I cut her hair, I colored her hair, I did everything for 35 years. Rule two of Celebrity Service Provider Fight Club, don't fuck up. The biggest thing about it is, is no matter who you are or what you do, do, and I know this from being a hairdresser for so many years and climbing to the top of my game. It doesn't make any difference whose hair I ever did. makes no difference at all. If the person that I'm working with isn't happy, then it's not a good situation. And Dr. Brandt made everyone happy. He was always certain that they were happy before they left. There was always a guarantee that went with him. When your job is to make famous people look and feel beautiful, the stakes may be exceedingly high. 
but your position in the food chain, it just isn't. You never bring yourself to the table. There's a way of talking around it because they're not really asking about you. Basically, you're almost a psychiatrist and you're a doctor and you're a hairdresser. And when you start believing that you're equal to your client or patient, then you've lost. We're in a service business. That's the hairstylist Garen again. He and Dr. Brandt met in the early 90s and were really close. They connected not only in the way they appraised beauty. I think that's why our connection was so tight, because we don't see the positive. We see the negative. But it's interesting. I learned that I, by working with Polly Mellon and Vogue and Glamour and all those magazines at the time, way back, beginning of my career, talking the early 70s, where when you would look through the lens of, say, Mr. Penn, Irving Penn or Avedon, you knew the girl was beautiful, but you would look and say, oh, the collar's wrong or, oh, the hair's too much or the makeup is wrong. But our eye went in that direction. And that's how I analyze my clients or talk to models or whatever. I'm always looking like, yes, you're beautiful. Yes, that's working, but we can make it better. Garen and Dr. Brandt connected in the way that they almost created these heightened versions of themselves for their clients to enjoy. Characters who reflected back the best of whoever was seated in their chairs, but never brought their own baggage to the table. I came from a small town. He came from a small town. You become the best in your field or part one of the best in your field. And then you start creating an image and you want to keep people. You weren't brought up that way, but you have this aura about you. He was self-taught. He was brilliant. My family was very modest, but I knew that if I was going to make it in New York City, I had to have something special. My specialty was that I became severe so that I could, I had no hair, so I shaved it. And I wore very severe clothes, meaning I was always in black and white or, or black. I was never casual. And I chose that route because I would command or demand more attention by my client because they wouldn't be able to direct me. I could suggest something to them and they would take it like I wasn't rude, but it would be like, if I said, you should definitely have your hair cut to here, there was authority behind it. You had to become authoritative. And Fred was very authoritative, but he took it in a different direction because he loved color, he loved fashion, and he always would be like, all his clients would buy him this crazy gifts. I mean, like these great handbags, big bags, you know, the Louis Vuitton bag, the Hermes bag, this bag, that bag. And they would buy him beautiful, amazing things. He would carry it around like it was just like it didn't matter to him. It just was a piece of art. He created this image and I think he was enjoying it until there was a certain point. He loved the whole idea of being photographed, but he wanted to be, he would go, I'm going to act like a model. I go, you don't know how to act like a model, so get over it. Just stand there and get your picture taken. In the beginning, Vogue was doing all these stories on him, as well as Allure and, and Harper's Bazaar and all the magazines. But you know how Vogue would do the one-off photograph of him with chemical bottles, like mixing up his potions or whatever, because he was creating his beauty line, his cosmetic line, a skincare rather, not cosmetic. 
And then there was another time he did another picture and Stephen Klein did a blue light on him. And I was like, that's a little, I go, Stephen, that's a little aggressive. He goes, yeah, but it's a, and Fred loved it. I know his childhood wasn't easy. And I know that he, like I, we were the skinny little kids growing up and you're bullied around and you're made fun of, and then you become very successful. You have hardly any friends, and then you become successful, and then everybody wants to know you. But being that you moved away from where you've grown up, it doesn't matter because you have all these people that adore you and respect you, and you gain this level of excellence, and you have to keep it up. You can't, there's no excuse or room to fail. So naturally, this version of Fred Brandt the show tune singing giant handbag-carrying guy with a clique of famous besties was a much sexier story than a science-obsessed doctor who goes home after a long day and experiments on his face. This Fred? The Baron of Botox? Who wouldn't want to read about that guy? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, well, my name is Robbie Myers, and I've been in the magazine content business for 30 plus years. Probably uh, best known for my role as the editor-in-chief of Bell for 18 years. And how did we meet? We met because we worked together, because you came to work at Elle. Robbie Myers is something of a legend in the publishing industry. She's known for a few things. Her hairstyle, a sort of twisted updo that can only be described as a good-looking beehive, chief among them. But I'd argue that her legacy is the way she challenged her writers and editors to go there. To say things they hadn't said before. To be unapologetic. When I worked at Elle, she was always talking about how stories could open women's appetites. I always loved that. She's proud of it, too. There were certain stories throughout my career where, after which I got the feedback that it had cracked open someone's worldview a little bit wider. So they had just a little bit more empathy towards somebody that they hadn't until they read that story. Empathy, it turns out, is what brought her to Frederick Brandt in the first place. I don't actually remember meeting Dr. Brandt. What I do remember is I had taken over at Al and somebody had written a story in which they were critical of Dr. Brandt and had been critical of the way that he looked. And, you know, that certainly wasn't what I wanted to do editorially. So that was my introduction to the world of Dr. Brandt, was that he was well-known among certain staffers, and his feelings were hurt. I'm sure that from a distance that Dr. Brandt seemed kind of bulletproof. He was very successful, seemed very wealthy, seemed probably to have lots of friends. She wanted to make it right, partly because she didn't want to run a magazine that bullies the people it covers, 
but also because as an editor-in-chief, you have to be aware of the advertisers. Beauty brands buy ads, which means they pretty much keep the lights on. I think somebody apologized to him on behalf of the magazine. And then I felt like I should meet him because he certainly was a person of some note in the beauty industry. And Al certainly devoted a lot of pages to covering beauty, and we covered him. And, of course, we also have a lot of beauty advertisers. So it was one of our markets, as they call it. But like so many others I've spoken to, what struck Robbie most about Dr. Brandt was his sensitivity. I'm sure you've heard this a hundred times, so I'll just make it 101. He was a really kind person, and he had a very tender heart. I think he had enormous sympathy for aging women and enormous sympathy for regular, for lack of a better word, because, I mean, look, he had a very fancy, starry, modely, famous person, actress clientele. But he also had women who had a lot of money, who spent a lot of money there, wanting to do exactly what you're talking about, which was wanting to be pretty, wanting to be a little bit better. And I think he identified with that in a way that it was particularly sensitive to that because he was a particularly sensitive kind of person. Robbie tells me a story about this party Elle has every year called Women in Hollywood. It's this rare, intimate event where celebrities attend unflanked by publicists. The whole thing is wildly glamorous. There's a red carpet and celebrities are seated at every table. One year, Dr. Brandt attended. He came as a guest one year, and I remember him saying, and I went up to him and I gave him a big hug, and I said, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for being here. And I remember him saying, boy, you know, there are a lot of people here that I know, but they won't say hello to me. And that kind of broke my heart, because what would it mean for someone to say hello to another person at a crowded event? All it would mean was hello. And what were they afraid of? That they would know that they'd gone to see a dermatologist? And was there a person in the room who hadn't? I don't understand why that would be something that anybody in that room would necessarily have to hide to the point where they would call on him as a doctor but not acknowledge him in public. And that touched me. But Fred Brandt wanted to be famous. And not in the shadows low-key famous. Above board, there he is, famous. A person who worked with him at the beginning of his career called him a competitive animal from the start. He wanted fame, she said. He sought it out. He rarely, if ever, charged beauty editors for his services. His client and friend Joy Behar told me that he was generous, arguably too generous, with his discounts. After his death, the New York Times reported that he'd been pitching a reality show about himself. I'd argue that validation from his famous clients outweighed any investment he had in making money or even being recognized by the medical community. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen.
Back in 2012, Julie Vadnell was my colleague and the associate living editor at Elle. For each issue of the magazine, Julie was responsible for filling three to five pages with aspirational stories about the latest in entertaining. And there was typically a celebrity angle. In one issue, she toured celebrity stylist Leslie Freemar's Tribeca apartment alongside Julianne Moore. Another time, she covered a dance party at Solange Knowles's Brooklyn Brownstone. One day, her editors asked whether she might like to go to Miami to shoot a party at Dr. Brandt's home during Miami Art Week. Julie was a little skeptical. Dr. Brandt was a 63-year-old dude. Normally, it would be a woman hosting people in her home where she cooked the meal or, you know, knew the person who cooked the meal. And it seemed like very personal. And this one to me seemed a little off because he was throwing a catered party for Art Basel in his home and his home was very dramatically filled with art. It just felt a next level type thing. And so it was a little bit odd, but knowing that there would be celebrities there, I think sealed the deal. And so later when I talked to the PR team about it and I told them how important it was for us to have some bigger names there. And I think at one point they had told me that maybe even Madonna would show up to this party. So I was like, okay, well, if Madonna shows up, great. And I think Anne V was another name that came up in that too. And so Robbie's endorsement of Dr. Brandt, the beauty team's endorsement of Dr. Brandt, seeing the art collection, knowing that there may be celebrities showing up, it all seemed like, yes, this could work. So Julie goes to Miami and is immediately disarmed by Dr. Brandt. I remember meeting him and then he was asking me, you know, what should I wear? And usually if people are wearing their own clothes, I want them to wear something that feels representative of them. You want, you know, this is your home. This is your style. L is all about personal style. And he had amazing fashion. I think he wore these like, oh, I'm going to mess this up. But I think he wore like Balenciaga pants. His closet was just filled with designer clothing. And so we were up in his closet and he was, you know, making jokes the entire time, singing show tunes as he was walking through the house. And when we got to the closet, he was like, no wire hangers, like quoting mommy dearest. He was just so much fun to be around. And I instantly fell in love because of his cool energy. He just had this like bubbly spirit. It was funny because I never even thought that he might be depressed or sad you know like that never occurred to me because I was like this is so fun we're in Miami he's throwing this really chic party. Julie and I talk about behind the scenes process for a while about how pulling off a really chic party for a magazine requires a lot of maneuvering and how typically awkward stuff happens. So I was there as the party was being set up and being put together. And again, I I don't like to intervene that much with these shoots because I want it to feel organic. So, you know, whatever he's doing before the party will kind of follow him around. And as the catering team was setting up in his living room, which is basically just a wing of the MoMA, his living, I don't even want to call it a living room because it really was just an art studio. There was this piece of art. It was a sculpture and it looked like two garbage cans on top of each other if you had put them together in the center so that the top one would have been upside down meeting the the top of the bottom one. And there were paper hangings inside of it. And it was a beautiful piece of art. Can't tell you who made it. And the catering team thought that they were trash cans and pulled them apart and put 
plastic bags inside of them to use for the party. And when Dr. Grant's person noticed this, she freaked out, I think, didn't want him to see it, didn't want him to know. And she was trying to explain to these caterers who I don't even know if they spoke English. She was like, this is art. This is not garbage. This is art. This is art. She's like, this is irreplaceable. And I just kind of backed away slowly out of the room. I was like, I can't believe I just witnessed this. Oh my God. And I don't know if Dr. Brandt ever noticed, or I'm sure he found out eventually. And then the party gets started. But the crowd isn't exactly what she expected. I just remember a lot of women there with huge lips, really plump cheeks, beautiful blowouts. But I think a little bit older than what I had expected and what I had been told would show up. It was just kind of an older crowd. And there were details People were wearing cool outfits, but they just didn't have recognizable faces. So I remember we were shooting a woman. She's wearing this black dress. It was like a Versace type with safety pins holding it all together. And so I was like, oh, shoot the back of her dress because that's beautiful. So I think once we realized that maybe Madonna wasn't showing up, we tried to make the best out of it by shooting other beautiful details there. I remember a lot of women with dogs tiny dogs. I think his publicity team really wanted this story to happen. So I remember they really tried to make it work. And I just think at the end, I had heard also from members of the beauty team that this wasn't totally rare, that they had been at parties with Dr. B where his clients would ignore him because they didn't want to be seen with the person who worked on their face, or they didn't want to be photographed with the man who had given them injections or plumpers or or whatever. Robbie remembers waiting for the pictures to come in. She then received a call from Brant's team. He called me. Or no, he didn't call me. His publicist called me, I think, because we were waiting for the pictures because we wanted to get them in. And he said nobody came. Nobody came to his party. And they all said they would. And they knew Elle was going to be shooting and blah, blah, blah. And he was heartbroken by that. The story about Dr. Brant hosting a chic art party at his home never ran in Elle. Julie says the team laid out the pictures and decided it just didn't make sense. The guests were older than expected. No one famous showed. There just wasn't enough sparkle. Another editor familiar with the shoot said it was never intended to be a celebrity story and that Dr. Brandt found it funny that the caterers damaged his art. A few days later, Julie flew to Chicago to shoot a suitable replacement, a 33-year-old interior designer named Sasha Adler. A year after the shoot, a story called Vision Quest ran in the December 2013 issue of Elle. The introduction to a Q&A with Dr. Brandt about his art collection and trending beauty procedures references his devoted celebrity clientele, Kelly Ripa, Gwyneth, and Madonna. The party is not mentioned. The Baron of Botox is a production of Imperative Entertainment. It was created, written, and reported by me, Justine Harmon. Executive producer is Jason Hope. Produced and engineered by Shane Freeman, with additional editing from Jasmine Cross and Jason Hope. Original music by Brandon Bush. Barbara Keene is our researcher and fact checker. Special thanks to Oren Rosenbaum at UTA. If you like the show, tell your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. The Baron of Botox is a 10-episode series with new episodes available every Tuesday. Have questions? Email us at podcasts at imperativeentertainment.com. If you or someone you know is struggling from depression, find local support and more resources by visiting NAMI, 
N-A-M-I.org. If you are having suicidal thoughts, you can reach a trained crisis counselor by calling the toll-free National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK or texting NAMI, N-A-M-I, to 741-741. You are not alone. Thank you for listening. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.